On today's episode of the John Campius Show podcast, HBO cancels winning time, which I'm incredibly bummed out about. Also, Loki has dropped a new feature, a new release date, and a new release time. And how bad is movie news right now? Well, fan art is dominating the news headlines. We'll talk about that in a second. Also, going to go into some details about a hot take, why I don't personally agree that actors and writers should get residuals. Sorry, I got, got a duck whenever <laughs> I said that. Also, The Last of Us Season 2 has officially cast probably the most important character for the upcoming season. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campbell Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the planet Earth. The John Campbell Show podcast coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to welcome you, my feller, fellow, uh, what do you call it? Hey, feller. Tavies? Tavies. Yeah. Our fellow Tavies. Uh, we'll get into that in just a second. <laughs> as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV and streaming, all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you some history and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether the exact same or completely different from ours. Uh, joining me in studio today, I got Ray Ora. Hey, 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 what's up, everyone? Jonathan Voik is over there. Monday, the best day of the week. And of course, writer, <laughs> director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett is here. Great to be here, John. Uh, Robert came in, dare I say, floating on a cloud at the official news that Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, as their fans are now dubbing them Tavies. The Tavies uh, are officially dating. She got spotted. There were some rumors. She got spotted coming off of his plane as they arrived uh, for their game this Sunday. Mm, she was hanging spotted. on the sidelines with his mom. She is currently writing her future breakup song. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, I wonder if this this is all just a publicity ploy for the upcoming October 13th movie launch. Could be. Could be. But if she doesn't use end zone in the title of that relationship breakup song, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> it's already very disappointed. It writes itself. That's the song. It's called end zone. It's called yeah. end zone and dunzo. Um, oh, but speaking of Travis Kelsey, though, I, I want to just mention this side thing. Because you guys know I'm, aside from movies, I'm also an extremely passionate sports fan. And I've been really, like the number one podcast in the world, at least the number one sports podcast in the world right now, is the Kelsey brothers, uh, Travis and Jason Kelsey. Of course, the two squared off against each other in the Super Bowl last year. And they got like the number one podcast in the world out there. Well, Amazon just dropped a documentary this past week just called Kelsey about Jason Kelsey, the legendary Philadelphia Eagles center who's co-captain of the team and all that kind of stuff. I got to tell you, This documentary, almost more than any others, epitomizes why I love sports so much. It it really epitomizes, because in every sporting event that's on, there is a hundred real human drama stories that go into making this sporting event you're watching. And this, this documentary on Amazon right now, again, just called Kelsey, I think it's the number one or number two thing on Amazon Prime Video right now. Um, I watched it, really loved it. I hope you guys will, uh, Go and check it out because it's really, really quite good. All right, guys. With that down, uh, for those of you who are here live, I mentioned every once in a while, we said this a few weeks ago, maybe once or twice a month, we uh, we actually do the show live just for fun. And we were all in here. Everything was ready to go. So we thought, you know what? Why don't we just do it live today? So today we're doing live. Not going to be a regular thing, but today we're doing it live. And hello to everybody who is joining us live. All right. With all that down, guys, let's jump into it, shall we? Last night, 
uh, my wife Ann and I were out at a delightful affair, a wine tasting party and get together with some uh, people from the industry. And then as he often does, Robert Meyer Burnett had to ruin my evening. Oh. When I receive, when my phone goes off, a little Bing notification goes off in my pocket. I check at my phone. It's from Robert. What's Robert got to say? And I open up the text message bearing ill tidings. <laughs> as Rob reported to me, as is now in deadline, that one of my favorite shows on TV right now, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, has been canceled. After its second season, as soon as the the season two finale aired, the official word came out that they had killed it. This comes us from Deadline, who writes, HBO's winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty has come to an end. After the second season finale Sunday, creator Max Bornstein confirmed the news on X. Not the ending that we had in mind, he wrote, but nothing but gratitude. Director Sally Richardson followed up on Instagram with when you give it everything you've got, you can have no regrets. I hope you enjoy the last episode of Winning Time. I am sure I will do many more hours of TV and hopefully many features in my future. But I can say that at this moment in time, I am most proud of the work that we did on this masterful show. And I got to tell you, I, again, I just mentioned the intro. I'm a big sports fan. Not necessarily a huge Lakers fan. I grew up a Celtics fan. But the, this show brought out all that drama, the stories, the personalities, and it really became a show for everyone, not just sports fans and definitely not just Lakers fans. It was a compelling story about these larger-than-life personalities. And seeing it done, and they took some creative liberties with it, absolutely they did, but it made for some damn compelling television. Now, I have still not watched the season two finale, I have loved because it just aired last night. And as I said, I, Ann and I were out. But God, this took a lot of wind out of my sails. I was so looking forward to a third season because while I haven't seen the season two finale yet, so there's like no way you wrap up this show with one episode left. And clearly they weren't ready for this show to be wrapped up, but wrapped up it is. Rob, what do you think about, what did you think about winning time overall about its cancellation? And, and maybe the bigger topic conversation how is this just kind of representative of the reality of streaming and stuff like that right now? What do you say? Well, John, you know, when this show first aired, you and I both loved it. Yeah. I mean, from that first episode, it kind of had a Wolf of Wall Street vibe to it, you know. And and for me, I I don't look at these kinds of shows as being totally accurate. You know, they're they're more mythological in that to me, like I think about the movie Lords of Dogtown which was a feature film version of the documentary Dogtown and Z-Boys. And I love Lords of Dogtown, but I don't look at that and go, this is exactly true the way it happened. Or even Oliver Stone's JFK. It's more of a myth about how part of America died. And a lot of people say, well, this isn't period accurate or anything. So Winning Time for me was something that made me want to go back and delve into the actual history, yeah. you know, and read the real, you know, we've got that newfangled contraption called the internet. You hmm. can start there doing your research, but I love the actors. I love the way it was directed, all the music choices, the casting was impeccable. It was so much fun to watch. And if nothing else, what it left you with was how, for me, I didn't know that NBA, the NBA was dying on the vine. 
I didn't understand what shambles it was in. And if nothing else, learning that the, the, the Lakers had this dynasty. I mean, I kind of, in a way, you kind of look at this as Lord of the Rings. You know, they, it kind of they is. Gotta go, they get, instead of, you know, going to Mortar, they have to win a ring or whatever. Maybe they don't have, do they have rings in the NBA? It's only for They have but, rings. They do indeed. So, so the thing is, I really enjoyed the show. It was a lot of fun to watch. And it made me curious and interested about the real history, which is what a show like this should do. And I'm really sorry because... Um, it, it was really good. I mean, it was really well made. The people that made it clearly cared. They were having a ball. And I read an article that said some of the, the real people were, did not like the way I know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had come out and said things that he didn't really appreciate how this was made. And you've got to accept that. You have to take that into consideration, but I liked it. You know, the, it also kind of, to me is a highlight of the, one of the big differences and one of the unfortunate realities of the streaming era. You know, we've talked about this before. You know, Netflix, a lot of people for a long time would ask, why is Netflix canceling these super popular shows after two seasons or three seasons? It's because this isn't the old television model. Right. Like today, if your show doesn't bring in, they don't care. These streamers don't care how many people watch the shows. They want to know how many new subscribers does it bring in. And if it doesn't bring in new subscribers, it doesn't matter if the show's popular. They cancel the show because it's an expense that doesn't yield a return. And, you know, HBO now has canceled this. They canceled another highly critically acclaimed show uh, in um, Perry Mason. They did the same thing. They waited for the second season to end. Then they announced canceling. They're saying Gilded Age. I'm hearing rumbles that Gilded Age is about to be axed. Uh, another um, show I like. And, and that a lot of people like, right? And, you know, but at least, you, know, you and I were talking afterwards, at least HBO in this situation had the common sense to wait until after the season finale to announce that the show's been canceled. <laughs> Unlike what happened with Swamp Thing, where they literally announced the show being canceled after the first episode aired. So, like, nobody wanted to watch the rest of the episode. Well, you know, and they also have to take into account the, the three seasons, the one and done. Like, it's always bothered me when Netflix would pick up a show I like, like Designated Survivor. Oh, I really you know, like that. I show. really like that show. And the third season that they produced was good. Then the Eric McCormack science fiction show, Travelers, which is a Canadian show, Netflix picked it up, did another season and canceled it. Because after three seasons, they'd have to bump up the costs of the show. You know, people get more yep. money. It costs more money to produce the show. And if that more money does not translate to subscribers, as you said, it's academic for them. You know, like you said, it's not making money. If it's not getting subscribers, why bump up the money you're going to have to pay to produce a show if it's not yielding any kind of new results? So I, I, I it sucks that winning time has been canceled, uh, but I am very grateful for the two excellent seasons that we got. Uh, but again, I, I fear that this is now the new normal. I think yeah. shows like Stranger Things that get five plus seasons is going to become a very, very big rarity. Uh, but uh, We'll see what happens. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? The next big MCU show that's coming out on Disney+, Plus. speaking of t uh, streaming television shows, is, of course, Loki Season 2. Now, traditionally, traditionally, Disney+, Plus has only been around a couple of years, but traditionally, mm -hmm. Disney+, Plus has taken their premium shows, you know, their Star Wars shows, their Marvel shows, and they drop them at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, midnight Pacific Standard Time. Now, Loki was supposed to air on Friday at 3 a.m. in the morning on October 6th, I think. And that would be midnight of October 5th for us. But they recently tried an experiment with the Star Wars show Ahsoka, 
where instead of releasing it at midnight Pacific time, they released it at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, a time when everybody can watch it together. And it looks like the results of that were really successful because according to Deadline, Loki has now changed its release date. They put out a new featurette, by the way, not a lot of new stuff in there, but they've announced that not only will it be moved from Friday, October 6th to Thursday, October 5th, they are again now going to move the release time. Deadline said this, the second season of Disney plus Marvel Studios Loki was originally set to debut on Friday, October 6th. However, the streamer is following a new rule out of its primetime playbook with Ahsoka and dropping episodes in prime time. The new premiere date for Loki is October 5th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Again, that'll be 9 p.m. New York time. And all subsequent episodes will drop on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for the season. Now, Rob, this is something that you, me, a lot of fans have been wanting Disney Plus to do for a long time. Initially, it kind of made sense to drop it at midnight to 3 a.m. because Disney was literally, Disney Plus's servers were getting crashed from everybody trying to tune at once. It looks like they've got that handled but what, for example, moving Ahsoka to, to 6 p.m., what it did was it allowed Disney Plus's stuff to do what they've never been able to do, what HBO has always done, which is create, you know, event-watching television. You know, when Game of Thrones was on, or even more recently when House of the Dragon was on, it became marked off on the calendar. Friends came over. We barbecued, we ordered food, we hung out, we all went to the theater room and we would all watch the new episode of House of the Dragon. I used to do that a long time ago when Balstar Galactica was on, you know, and, and other shows like that. With Ahsoka, people were able to start doing that again because it had that reasonable launch time. And even more importantly for fandom, it meant that everybody was on the same page because with them releasing at 3 a.m. in the morning, some hardcores would stay up and watch it, but the next morning, a lot of people hadn't had a chance to see it. they go to work. So half the people had seen it, half hadn't. Everybody's hearing about what's going on and all that kind of stuff. Now, you know, they put a soak out at 6 p.m. It's event-watching television. People can all sit down and watch it if they like it. And I think this is absolutely 100% the right move for them to do with Loki because I didn't love Loki season one, to be honest. He's one of my favorite characters in the MCU. I didn't love the first season. Didn't hate it. Kind of liked it. But a lot of people really did like it a lot. I know a lot of people have been very excited about Loki season two. Rob, I I just think this is the smart thing all around. This is probably going to be the new norm for Disney+. Plus. What do you think about them moving it to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time? And do you see any drawbacks to doing it at that time? Well, no, I, you know, it's that HBO model, you know, it drops at 6 p.m. on the West or uh, 9 p.m. on the West Coast or 9 p.m. on the East Coast, 6 p.m. on the West Coast. And it works really well. Everybody who's interested in the show, uh, gets to watch it at a reasonable time. And by the next morning, there's all kinds of chatter. There's YouTube reviews. The show is getting buzz all for the next day. It's it's it, it, For me, it's a no-brainer. And for Disney Plus to finally uh, embrace this, obviously it's done well for Ahsoka. That's why they're changing the Marvel strategy. Uh, I think it's absolutely what they should be doing. I mean, as far as Loki the show goes, um, I think it was a well-liked show. For me personally, I thought it pushed the boundaries. It seems weir- weird to say after Love and Thunder and Mania, but I thought it went too far, mm. stretching the credulity of believability. If, I mean, is that silly to say? Maybe. But the time variance authorities seemed to go too far. However, I mean, this Tom, Tom Hiddleston's great in the role, and I, it, it does. the new season looks good. You know, Tom Hiddleston in the role of Loki is there's an old saying that says sometimes failure is your greatest victory. 
Tom Hiddleston, for those of you who don't remember this, he was in Marvel's house because he was auditioning for and got close to getting the role of Thor. And he lost it out to Chris Hemsworth. But they liked him so much, they they went to say, what would you think about playing his brother, about playing Loki? And like today... I, I mean, listen, other actors can play other roles, absolutely. But I'm saying it's it's difficult to imagine anyone else playing Loki than Tom Hiddleston. No. He is, I'm not saying he's Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man or Chris Evans playing Captain America, but he's up there. Like, he is so synonymous with that role and he plays it so well that even when the show isn't great, I like watching it just to see him play the character. Yeah. You know what I mean? So here's hoping, and by the way, Ki-Hu Kwan, Academy Award winner, Ki-Hu Kwan. Now in this season as well, I'm really excited to see him in this. And in this, the new, there's a new feature out, by the way, guys, if you look on YouTube, just look for Loki featurette. And, uh, you know, Ki Kwan's talking about, listen, I, I've been a huge MCU fan for so long. And to see him come in on this, I think it's, it could be a lot of fun, a lot of potential there. And I love that's coming out at 6 PM. All right. With that down guys, let's talk about this for a second. Admittedly, this story is a little bit of navel gazing, uh, and, and a little bit of inside baseball here, but I just thought I'd talk about this for a second. You know, with the writers and the actors strike going on and, you know, industry shut down and the AMPTP, the studios just can't seem to get out of their own way to get a good deal made and whatever. It's not just the actors and the writers that is, that are hurting, right? There are production companies being shut down all over the place. People who work in industries that rely on the film industry working aren't happening. We just found out one of my favorite restaurants um, in um, uh, out in the Los Angeles Hollywood Burbank area is looking. They may not survive because they're so their business is built on production crews going there for lunch, and now no one's going in for lunch. I mean, just a lot of things. Well, the online movie pundit space is one of those because when there's no writing and there's no actors. That means there's no casting announcements, there's no development announcements, there's no script updates. There's, I mean, basically, it's difficult sometimes to come up with news. I understand that. I, I, I'm a part of that. I, I recognize it every day. But wow, that has led to something. A habit going on in the, and I'm not going to point out any one outlet because this is kind of like online movie coverage wide. This is everybody. This is a trend that's out there. Which is, if there's not a movie news story to talk about, make one up. <laughs> so let me give you some, here's what I mean by that, okay? So I, over the last month, two months, go through my, you know, my list, my, my news feeds, right? I go through my news feeds and look for the stories that are coming out. And once in a while, I'll come across the stories like, first look at Leah Schreiber's uh, saber-tooth costume for Deadpool 3. <laughs> Be like, oh, what? And get all excited, click on it. It's fan art. So, like, they, hey, we had no news stories, so we made this thing up and we made it about this piece of fan art. I kid you not, in the last month or two, 20, 30, 40 times I've come across that. Even today, look at this. Today, this is from one of my uh, my news feeds. There's this big story on Screen Rant, and I'm not trying to center out or point a finger at Screen Rant. This is an industry-wide thing that's going on right now, okay? So I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage on Screen Rant, but headline, Jon Snow spinoff poster teases warg powers that Game of Thrones barely touched on. I'm like, what? There's, there's, they've got a, 
a first teaser poster for the snow series. <laughs> That's awesome. Click. There is no poster for the new snow series. It's some fan put together a fake poster of half face of Jon Snow, half face of a wolf and put it up on Reddit. And again, this is not me bagging on screen rant for running the headline. Jon Snow spinoff poster (laughs) teases. There is no Jon Snow. It's that just kind of highlights just how desperate some places and people are right now because these, again, if there is no news, they're making up news. This isn't an actual story. It's a piece of fan art. And I just kind of wish they would put fan art in the title a little bit, but this is not an isolated thing, Rob. This is a very, very common. Have you noticed this thing going on too? Yeah. But you know, and hearing you articulate as well as you just did, it makes me want to make up a Star Trek show that I'm just going to say that I'm creating and and I'm going to cast (laughs) it. I'm going to give out the premise. I'm going to say who's writing it. Rob, Robert Meyer Burnett's new Star Trek series. First poster arrives. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Green. No, no. Green lit by CBS Paramount. In your dream. Well, that's what I mean. That's now, why not? Over for later. I'm just going to make it. No, but I think, John, that, I, look, I get it. Everybody needs to keep the light, lights on. But at the end of the day, you know, in our already AI-filled world where stories are now being written by AI, there's whole outlets that are saying that, you know, we don't even need human people to write stories anymore. We just have AI do it. We're going to see more and more of this. And, and the, the, the line between reality and fantasy is it's already blurred, but maybe there won't be one. Maybe you'll just suddenly believe that, yeah, you know what? These are Warwick powers. That's, that's, this is happening. And then no one's going to remember whether it happened or not. That's the big thing, right? Like a lot, of, a lot of outlets today will write this stuff because there literally is no consequence anymore for it. It's like either people will just forget about it or what, whatever. So guys, do me a favor, will you? If you guys come across these sorts of headlines, we're specifically talking about fan art. Because 99% of these things that I come across, it's it's based on a piece of fan art, but they'll put like something in the title without revealing it's based on a piece of made-up fan art. If you guys come across these stories, can you email me a link? Because uh, I, I would I'd like to start collecting these headlines. So <laughs> just email me at John at the John That's John at the John If you can send those to me, that would be uh that would be pretty good. I like to, like to start putting together a collection of these things. All right, guys, listen, we still have a couple of things you need to talk about, including a little bit of a hot take about why I don't necessarily fully support the idea of actors and writers getting residuals. Also, The Last of Us Season 2 apparently has officially cast Abby in their show. We're going to talk about that and a few things more. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campbell Show podcast, our friends at Rocket Money and my new favorite toothbrush, Quip. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Rocket Money. Did you know that the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and they might not even remember to subscribing to half of those? If you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. I recently just found out that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about. Seriously, think about how many free trials you subscribe to that you just probably never canceled. And that's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money, because I was one of those people. 
When I signed up to Rocket Money, I was stunned to find out that a gym I had belonged to in another city I lived in, I had still been paying my dues to for over two years. Also, that music subscription service I use, yeah, I forgot I was subscribed to two other ones. That's where Rocket Money comes in because Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved on average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Quip. Guys, you know that good health starts with good habits and Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. For example, their incredible electric toothbrush. Guys, I've been using electric toothbrushes for years and this is easily the best one I've ever owned. Time sonic vibrations with 30 second pulses to guide a dentist recommended two minute clean. A lightweight and sleek design for adults and kids with no wires or bulky charger to weigh you down. Reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues as well as bright plastic colors sure to make a pop on your bathroom counter. Skip the battery and snap into healthy habits with the new rechargeable electric toothbrush. All the features of the original Quip plus one magnetic charge powers up to three months of brushing. In addition to brush heads, Quip also delivers fresh floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months from just $7. So if you go to getquip.com campia right now, you'll get 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, or water flosser. That's your 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, water flosser at getquip.com slash campia. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash campia. Quip, the good habits company. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money and Quip for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. Gang, guys, let me kind of emphasize this. We turn down a lot of sponsorships because we don't like really believe in what it is they're selling. Rocket Money has honestly saved me a ton of cash and Quip is actually pretty remarkable. It is a fantastic package. Doing dental health will never be so fun uh, as it is with this. So thank you again to Rocket Money Equip for sponsoring the show. All right, guys. That down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, um, there's an actor and writer strike going on, and, and particularly when it comes to the writers. Like, I I am completely in 100% agreement with them on almost all of the things they're asking for. Better salaries, better wages, insurance coverage, uh, pensions, uh, protections from AI, uh, you know, contract lengths. I I'm with them on almost everything. The one thing that you guys will know that I'm kind of a little bit iffy on is the issue of residuals. And actually last week, Chris Carr and I got into a little bit, with Chris Carr, who is a member of SAG, by the way, uh, got into a really good little debate about the issue of residuals. And that is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, if you guys have a question or a topic for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on the show, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile hotline anytime 24-7 at 951-268-4259. Every day we pick out one or two of those that get called in. And today's is about, well, the issue of residuals. Check it out. Hi, John and crew. Uh I wanted to kind of point something out. I was watching one of the videos and I saw that you and Chris were kind of debating on residuals and that you, John, have never received residuals before. But uh, you receive residuals for every view that any of your videos that you've ever created on YouTube gets till the end of time. 
So I, I just want to know how you feel about that because you said you've never gotten residuals before, but you technically get residuals. So I, I hope you have a good day. hope that it doesn't cause any controversy. Uh, anyway, thank you. Bye. All right, man. Thanks a lot for calling that in. Okay, look, I, I want to talk about the, the issue of residual cure because we've discussed it, but we've never done a topic on it. You know what I mean? It's, it's come up in other discussions, but we've never done a dedicated topic to it. So, and, and Rob, just to be clear, you and I have not discussed this. We have not talked beforehand about this. And, all this and I did stuff. not know about this question until just now. Until just Which now. Which is a uh -oh. fascinating point. Uh oh so, No. So <laughs> let me, I want to break this down into two different things because after the debate, uh, the discussion me and Chris had, and by the way, Chris is so good at articulating, you know, a certain point of view. She's great at that. I love having those discussions with her. Um, I did get a couple of emails from people saying, well, John, you say you don't believe in residuals and stuff like that. But as a YouTuber, you get residuals all the time. I want to make something very, very clear. Okay. I don't get residuals from YouTube. And I'll tell you why. Because I own the videos that I make. I pay for the videos that I make. The staff that helps me make them, I pay them to come in and help me make them. And then when I take the videos that I own, I financed and I created, and I put them on YouTube, YouTube sells advertising revenue, but that advertising revenue is mine. YouTube gets a residual. I get the ad money for the ads that play on my video. See, it's a little bit different than, say, back in the day. Uh, check that. Look at that. Remember, a little, little flashback there. There's the great John Schnepp oh. in there as well. It's a little bit different than, say, back in the Collider days. Because you might be thinking about this. Now, if I was a hired hand, and listen, at AMC and at Collider Video, I was a hired hand. Right? I was a hired hand. I was on staff. I did not own these videos. I did not pay for these videos to be created. I didn't own them. I was, for lack of a better thing, I was a writer and a and a star, a, a creator, or not a creator, a performer. Talent, on-screen right? talent. I was on-screen talent, thank you. Do you think I get any money today from videos that I made at AMC and Collider? No, I don't, I don't get any of that money. When people go and watch old AMC videos and watch the Collider videos that I created, I don't get any money from that because I was on-screen talent. I was a hired hand. I did not own the videos. I did not finance the videos. I didn't pay for them. I didn't pay for the staff. The YouTube, so it, in your drawing the comparison, me at Collider would be a more accurate comparison. And as talent, on-screen talent, that the videos didn't belong to me, I don't get residuals. I don't get one penny from those things at all, despite the fact that I wrote them, I created them, I orchestrated them, I was the, you know, the, the creative hand that put everything together. I don't get any money from that. And I got no problem with that because I didn't pay for it. So I'm good. But with YouTube videos on my channel or your channel, if you're a YouTube creator, whatever, you own those videos. You produced those videos. You financed the making of those videos. And they actually belong to you. And any ads that YouTube puts on those, that's your ad revenue not YouTube's. They don't own the video that belongs to you. So that's, there is a very large, massive chasm of a difference between like, say when Rob and I would appear on Collider Heroes, because we were both being financed and paid by Collider versus Rob's, Robservation YouTube channel. Those videos belong to him. The John Campia YouTube channel, these videos belong to me. 
I paid for them and I do not get a residual, I get my ad revenue. So that, that is a very, very different set of situations. Very, very different. Now, that being said, I mentioned in my discussion with Chris that despite the fact that I am in total agreement on almost every single thing that the writers are asking for, the protections they're asking for, better wages, all that kind of stuff. I'm 100% all for that. I believe actors, not big stars, but regular actors and writers should get paid more, all that kind of stuff. That I do philosophically have a problem with residuals. And it's come up a couple of time, times on the channel. And I thought I'd just take a second here to articulate what my issues are. And, and the reason I specifically didn't want to talk to Rob beforehand is because then I'd like to get Rob's perspective and, and take on it. Because not only is Rob a pundit, Rob, don't forget, is a writer, producer, director, creator, all that kind of, he's script worked reader. this, what's that? Script reader. I, I don't know why, but in the, I thought I heard, I'm not going to say what I thought I heard you say, but a script reader and everything. So I'm going to want to get too. his perspective on this. But, but here's the thing, the, the idea of residuals that, that I have a, a fundamental problem with is it creates a caste system that says writers and actors are better than everybody else. Because all work, everything we do, every job that gets done, you are a person with a particular set of talents and gifts that you're good at, and hopefully you're employed in an area where you get to use your talents and gifts in exchange for a salary, in exchange for revenue, in exchange for income. And then once you've done your job and you've been paid for your job, that relationship no longer has tendrils, right? There's nothing else connecting it. You, you do the job, you get paid for the job, and that's that. Somebody who's a gifted auto mechanic may work at keeping Amazon's delivery trucks up and running. Without that mechanic, those trucks cannot drive and deliver, and Amazon makes no money if those delivery trucks do not run and get to their spot. But... The mechanic who uses his unique skills and abilities to keep those trucks on the road does not get a cut of the items being delivered. They get paid for their work and hopefully, fingers crossed, paid well. But once they fix the truck, however much money that truck generates for Amazon gets them no more revenue. And neither does your job. Neither does mine. Whether I've worked in law, listen, I, I've worked in a law firm where my relationship with certain people brought a lot of business into the firm. Once I left the firm, I didn't get any residuals from those people still coming to that law firm. I didn't get any residuals. I got paid for my time and I got paid for my work. And now I had to go get another job or another gig to continue to apply my trade and get paid or I don't. It's the same of all of us. All of us are in that same boat. Actors and writers are no different. There is a job that needs to be done that an employer, in this case, studios or producers, that they need fulfilled. Whether it's somebody playing a role, somebody to write a script, and there's people uniquely skilled to do that. They come in, they give their time and their talents, and they get a paycheck. The latest AMPTP offer to the WGA suggested that the average room writer for a TV series was going to make $90,000 for two months of work. $220,000 for six months of work. I just want to point out that the writers are going to get paid more than what the average American makes in a year. Writers are going to get paid more. An average writer in a standard television writing room is going to get paid more in two months than the average American will be making in an entire year. And I'm not saying they don't deserve it. I think they do. I think they 100% deserve it. I even think they deserve more. 
to be honest with you, for the work that they do. But that's the case here. Visual effects artists who work, while an actor may show up to a set for two months, you know, work on set for a couple of months. We've been talking a lot about visual effects artists and their struggles lately. We talked about some Marvel visual effects artists that literally had to work 16 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week for four, five, six, seven month stretches at a time. And their work with the magnificent visual effects we see on screen, take Thanos, for for example, those visual effects artists do not get residuals. They get paid for their work. They get paid for their time. Not enough. Not enough. But they do. But they don't get paid a residual. And I have a lot of friends who are in SAG and the WGA, some of some of our mutual friends, Rob, that every once in a while when this comes up, they are not, they do not hesitate to text me to try to put me on my place about why I should believe residual. But but honestly, whenever I've asked the question, why should a writer or an actor get more when all the when everybody else in the world does not? And it usually the answer kind of comes out to either because we as writers and actors are special or we as actors and writers are better than you. They'll never word it like that, but that that ultimately is kind of what it comes down to. And again, while I believe in everything else that they are asking for, better wages, better security, better pensions, better insurance coverage, protections from AI, uh, uh, length of contracts, all of it. I'm in full support of Save the WGA and all of it. I just have this philosophical issue with residuals. And by the way, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. It's something that I could be convinced of and maybe have my mind changed over the next while. I'm not firmly convicted of this belief. You know what I mean? It's just kind of what I think. And I've had a lot of people shouting at me, telling me just to keep that opinion to myself. But no, fuck you. It's, It's what I think. And my mind could be changed. But that's kind of how I see it. That's what I believe. And uh, I'm not out there, Rob, anti-picketing, saying, you don't deserve residuals. I, I'm not, hey, you get what you, get what you negotiate, right? Is what you always say. So anyway, Rob, the issue of residuals. Um, you've heard kind of my outlier viewpoint on it. How do you see it? How do you feel about it? I, I don't know. What's your take on it? Well, you know, the idea of residuals for television, for instance, was created in the 50s. And that was when television was paid for by sponsors. And if you, the, this, what the front and center were the stories being told or the scripts that were being written and the actors that were in front of the camera. So basically it was profit participation. If a show had a big audience and the sponsors paid more money because the show delivered more eyeballs on whatever product that they were selling. And more eyeballs equaled old more money, more money. at that time. And that, it, it was a very simple thing. And they said, okay, the people are tuning into this show because of the story being told and the people playing the characters. You know, that was a big, that was a big deal. And you got five residuals back in the fifties. That was it. You got five payments on a sliding scale, but now, and those shows were entirely paid for by the sponsors. Every show had to have a sponsor in order to even get made. Now that's completely changed. And for a streaming show on Apple, Amazon, or Netflix, they don't know how many people are going to watch it. They have to pay for the show. Like the, the company's paying for the show. There is no, with with Amazon and with uh, Apple, there is no sponsorship. There is no, the only money that they're seeing for Apple, it's people that, that have their products that get Apple TV or whatever. And for Amazon, you have to sign up for Amazon Prime. 
That's it. And Amazon Prime is not to get the programming. It's to get all the services, all your shipping for Amazon products. So the very idea of where this money and residuals came from in the first place has changed. The network TV model hasn't, but that's dying. So I think, like you said, I think the writers, we need, we need longer time in the writers' rooms. We need writers' assistants to be there so they can become the new wave of writers. They need to get paid more and all this. But the business has changed entirely. And all deals moving forward have to be commensurate to those changes. And I feel like they're arguing for old models of doing things in a industry that is undergoing massive sea changes. And I think that the WGA and, and, the, the, uh, and SAG, they're always behind the times. And I feel that they should get ahead of all of this five years, 10 years down the line. I mean, you've got people whose voices can be digitally recreated. You have act, or, uh, uh, musicians who now people are using, they're creating songs that the Grammys say can compete for a Grammy award because you've digitally recreated someone's Drake You've digitally recreated his voice, even though he didn't record on your track, but that track's available or eligible to win an Emmy or pardon me, a Grammy. It's crazy what's going on now. And I feel that the idea of residuals is an idea that is 70 years old that needs to be reassessed. I mean, since we're talking specifically about residuals, because residuals don't really apply to three of the big now call them studios. You know, I mean, we've got the networks, but those are studios as well. Amazon, Netflix, and Apple. Their business model is not what residuals come from or have anything really to do with. And yet that's part of the problem that this strike is happening. Yeah, and again, one of my other problems with the issues of residuals is that you create a situation where you have people who stand to make more profit if something succeeds but do not stand to lose money if the project fails. So like, let's say, Rob, you finance a, uh, a, a movie about, uh, I don't know, a toy collecting, right? Well, you're taking all the risk. Right. If the movie fails, you lose all your money. You yes. lose millions of dollars. You lose. Therefore, if the movie does better than expected, you should be the one that gets the extra profit from it because you're the only one who put your actual money at risk. See, that's why it's a little bit different. See, I'm more in favor of like the Alec Guinness or Robert Downey Jr. model where like Alec Guinness famously playing Ben Kenobi in Star Wars and Robert Downey Jr. when he started playing Iron Man, he took less money than what he thought he was worth, right? So he, he was like, he thought I should have gotten X millions of dollars, but I'll take less. So he's actually risking that millions of dollars that he could have asked for. I'll take less money, but I'll take points on the movie. So I'm taking a risk. Robert Downey took a risk. He said, I'm risking losing out on half the money I would normally ask for and get. But if the movie works, I get a windfall because I'm, I'm, in, I'm taking a risk. I'm taking a gamble. I'm rolling the dice that I believe this project will succeed. So if Avengers and the MCU flopped, Robert Downey Jr. would have been out millions of dollars. Yeah. But because it was so successful, he made stupid amounts of money. See, I'm, I'm more all for that sort of thing. Like if a writer or an actor wants to say, tell you what, I'll take half the regular rate if I can get points on the back end. So if the thing fails, I lose money. If it succeeds, I make money. But no one's going to go for that. I, <laughs> no one's going to agree to that. 
Jack Nicholson in uh, Batman. That's right. Yeah, he did the you same know, thing. You know, and same thing. And I, 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 anyone who's not been the in the position to actually produce a project, I think doesn't quite understand that. And you know, you produce films. You produce, produce films. You produce films that have been in movie theaters. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I'm working on. You know, it's funny. I, I've got. I'm working on a project now where I got a contract offer uh, today, and I'm thinking about this very thing about how to make this fair for a particular actor. And it's like, okay. Um, and they've agreed to be a part of it. You know, they're willing to risk, just like you said, take a little less money up front to be a part of the project, which is great. And I think that at the end of the day, that's how people should get rewarded. And I do believe that in this day and age, John, the writers especially should get paid more up front. You know, 100%. Like I, I believe considering the size of some of these projects, that's the one thing I want to make sure doesn't get lost in this. I think the non-superstar actors and the writers, they need to get better salaries. They need to get more money up front yes. considering what it is they're creating for these. I don't. I may not believe in residuals, but I do believe in them getting more money, like 100%. Well, and also the thing is the residuals now, network TV still is an ad-based model. So network television does have sponsors. So you can you can still get residuals from that. But when someone complains, and I there was an op-ed in the LA Times that when Suits goes on to Netflix and makes people watching billions of hours of it. Well, Netflix isn't exactly making more money from that. They paid, they licensed suits out to put on their network. So they paid universal and whatever, whatever your deal was, whatever you negotiated 15 years later, whatever piece that they made on that money that universal made, (laughs) then you get what you're, you uh, deserve. So I got to tell you, I just got, I just got a text message because we're doing today's show live. We don't normally do them live, but we're doing today's show live. I just got a text message from our mutual friend, Kevin Rubio, who, uh, who is part of this. Part of the WGA. Part yeah. of the WGA. And he just wrote to me, but John, we as writers are special and we are better than you. There you go. Kevin's awesome. <laughs> Kevin made the great Star Wars fan film Troops and wrote Tag and Bink. Tag and Bink. For Dark Horse, Horse, now Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Like super, super good. Funniest guy. Star Wars thing ever. Tag and Bink. Stays in canon. Yeah. Now listen, again, I want to emphasize here, I don't hold big convictions on this. This is It's just a point of view that I don't hear anybody expressing. And and I've never been one to shy away from saying something just because it's the unpopular position. It's just that... I don't know. I, I I just have some philosophical issues with it. Well, right and now. also the difference in the in terms of the writer's strike as opposed to the one, what, 15 years ago, 2008, Eight. was it? Yep. So there wasn't an Amazon, there wasn't a Netflix, and there wasn't an Apple. Yeah. So these do, new business models at didn't exist. At least not exist. Apple TV. At, at least, you're right, at least not Apple TV. And now you've got the studios that are still doing the work that they've been doing for 70 years, and then these new players that aren't. So it's hard to negotiate. It's very difficult to navigate this Byzantine way of getting paid. All right, guys. With that all down, I'm sure you guys have a lot of opinions about that, and it's all good. Uh, With that down, let's move on to this last topic here today, shall we? You know, Last of Us, uh, I I think, I don't know that there's going to be anybody in the room that disagrees. It was the single greatest two-screen translation of video game material ever the the hbo series was just one of the best things on television the last number of years they absolutely crushed it in a subgenre, you know video game adaptations that have traditionally really sucked and it just crushed it i personally believe that last of us season two or not season two last of us two is the single 
by not even by a close, I mean, by a wide margin is the single greatest story ever told in a video game in terms of character depths, motivations, the existential crisis that comes along with certain things that happen in our lives. And at the core of it, the issue of what pain does to people and how pain can change people, even the best of people. It's an incredibly advanced style of story. It's absolutely unbelievable. And clearly, if you take out Joel and Ellie, the most important character is Abby. Now, we're not going to go, for those of you who don't know the story of Last of Us 2 and you're waiting for the television series to come out, we're not going to go into why she's so, she's so important. But Abby is a character that is going to become the most, outside of Joel and Ellie, the most important character in this show. Well, according to a new story out of Deadline and as told here in uh, the direct, Last of Us Season 2, they made it official. They have cast Abby. Abby is now cast. They've got this character, they've got this actor cast, but apparently because of the strikes right now, they can't tell us who it is. Now, this is what it says in there. Season two of HBO's The Last of Us will begin shooting once the Hollywood strikes come to an end. And now fans have confirmation that the next season's most integral new character, Abby, has been cast. Uh, and then goes on to say down here that HBO and showrunner Craig Mazin have confirmed to the LA Times that the actor who will portray Abby in season two of HBO's The Last of Us has officially been cast. However... The actor's name hasn't been revealed just yet, as Mazin is likely waiting until the Writers Guild of America, the WGA, and the Screen Actors Guild, SAG, strikes are over to announce their new star. Now, my first thought when I heard this was, they better have cast her before the strike started, <laughs> because this actor is not allowed to make a deal while the strikes are going on. So I hope... I hope, and it, what is most definitely probably the case, uh, this was a deal that was made, a casting that was done probably right before the strike started. That, In all likelihood, we may find out otherwise, in which case there's going to be some controversy. But for now, this is the way it is. Um, Rob, I don't think it's an overstatement to say this is probably the most pivotal piece of casting they can do uh, for a season two. And by the way, so far, they have crushed casting oh, yeah. in Last of Us. Everything, and there was, a, it's so weird now, in hindsight, to think about there was actually controversy surrounding the casting. Like, oh, Bella's gonna be terrible to play. Okay, yeah, well, and one Emmy nomination later says otherwise. That Pedro's the wrong guy to cast as Joel. Yeah, clearly not. But even like their secondary characters, whether it was Nick Offerman or whoever else, I, I just thought they... Anna Torv at the beginning. Oh know. my God, she was so good. Like their ability to cast the right performers in the right roles is one of the many, many reasons this show has worked so well. But I'm telling you, Abby is a... This is number one. Physically, it's going to be a tough role to cast. Number two, when you understand the journey of this character, Abby, you need somebody who is Pedro Pascal level. You need somebody who is Bella level. You need somebody who can act their ass off to really make this character as emotionally resonant as she comes across in the game, to have it come across in the movie. I have no clue who they could get. I mean, the age is also going to be a, a situation. You're probably going to have to get somebody around 19, maybe a little bit younger. 
to fill the role. It's it's going to be tricky. Rob, you hear that they've cast the role. How significant is this? How big of a role do you think Abby plays in the second season? And you know what kind of actress do you think they go for? Well, she plays a huge role, <laughs> a pivotal role. <laughs> um, I uh, look. They have to get somebody like you said that because of the dynamics of the second season and what happens, you have to have somebody who can hold the screen the same way that all the other actors have been able to hold the screen and emote. Uh, to be honest, like you, John, I, I really have no idea who they've cast. And, and obviously they, they knew who they wanted. You know, I don't know how much screen testing they did or whatever, but I don't have any idea who it is. All I know is that it's going to be, whoever got the role is going to have a lot of fun playing it because it's a, it's a juicy role in more ways than one. And a lot of working out to do. Uh, yeah, and a lot of work, yeah, a lot of working out to do. So I, I I don't know who it is, but look, this this is gonna and also for those of you who those who don't know the game, this character is 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 really, you know, gonna carry you through the show, the second season. And you need somebody who is just as capable as any other actor, perhaps even more so. And I'm we'll seeing see. some. By the way, I'm seeing some great predictions in here. Uh, I've got uh, Lizzo. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, Keller and Brinks in the live chat is suggesting Lizzo, of course, who just did a big appearance in uh, Mandalorian. Uh, Ronda Rousey. <laughs> so, Florence Pugh is an is an interesting one. That's a but that's a great choice. Yeah, uh, and now Abby has very much a modern female Olympic gymnast physique, um, and so you're gonna have to get whoever they get is going to have to first and foremost, get the best actor you can and then worry about the physicality later. But yeah, man, I mean, this is a pivotal character. And if they can, if they can crack the code with Abby, the way they did with um, Ellie and Joel, they're going to be firing in all cylinders for season two. And, and I cannot wait anyway, guys, however you feel about it. What do you think? Do you got some names in mind about who this mysterious person could be that they have now officially cast? And do you think they're going to wait till the strikes are over to let us know who it is? Do you think they might reveal it sooner? Whatever you guys think, let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to move on now and start taking questions from our YouTube channel members. We ask our YouTube channel members every day to submit some thoughts, theories, questions, and topics, and we get through as many as we can. But before we get to those, we're going to take a quick second to thank another sponsor of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans for Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia 
And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for being an awesome mobile service provider and for being a sponsor of the John Campus Show podcast. Okay, guys, we got a few minutes here, so let's get on over and start taking some topics from our YouTube channel members. Jonathan, what do we got up here first? All right, we've got... That's not the shot. Yeah, let me get it to the right. It it, it synced over to the other uh, thing. Here we go. All right, uh, so we got Red One Real Talk. John, did you ever tune into For All Mankind? Uh, I finally started a few weeks ago thinking this was a grounded what-if story, but by season three, they give us the promise of what I thought NASA would look like today. The ideas, politics, bold exploration that is set out in this show is incredible. Felt a little slow at the start, but boy, mm. I'm uh, glad I stuck with it. So excited for season four coming soon. Wow. No, no I, have, I have watched For All Mankind season one, and I never got back on like and and i really like season one i just didn't haven't had time to get on so one of these days soon i'm going to have to binge seasons two three and four i know there are two guys in the room that are absolutely obsessed with this i show. wonder who those yeah. might be how how has this for new you, season been how's the new season been it has it doesn't start till november 10th oh i thought it yeah. no the trailer for the, it yeah, the came trailer out. dropped last week and it was very funny look the thing about the show is to me it it does so many things well and it has an optimistic spirit that the original Star Trek had in the 60s. <laughs> and even though it really does. And, no, and it does. The characters are great. It does. It, in terms of inclusion, it is one of the it does all of that so beautifully. And it's just a smart show. It's a riveting show. And the, the, the last hour of season two is one of the greatest hours of TV I've seen in the last 20 years. Wow. And Ray, it's one of the few shows that you're like completely obsessed with too. Like, yeah, you really want I'm just on this binge of like the moon and going to space and stuff. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't get this like stuff earlier. Why I didn't like <laughs> all right stuff earlier. But yeah, it's a great show. What's up next? Uh, we got Dr. Stinky who says, how was your guys weekend? Me personally, I kind of did a triple feature over Saturday and Sunday and watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Wolf of Wall Street and Arrival. Nice. Two, one of those things is not like the others. Uh, oh, and some <laughs> episodes of Mandalorian and loved all three, especially Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, the ending gave me modern Citizen Kane vibes. Anyway, all love. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street is such a, is such a great, you know, I'm, I'm finding myself really loving these movies based on real story things, right? I just recently, like last week we talked about, it. I saw Dumb Money last week. Oh, so good. Yeah, I saw that too. Loved it's, it. it's it's one Loved of my it. favorite movies of the year. It's so good. Air is one of my favorite it's movies so of the year. Good. Oppenheimer, you know, this year. Um, these movies kind of based on real life. Real Tetris. Was Tetris. Really Tetris, which I was really late to the party to, but you guys got me on to watch that. But like, Wolf Pinball. of Wall Street. <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street was so good on every level. Like the I will always when I think of Wolf of Wall Street, a lot of people think of the uh, right? Not me. Me, one of the most brilliant sequences ever in film was Leonardo DiCaprio his character's recollection of the evening that he drove home. And oh, then man. later in the film, <laughs> Martin Scorsese showing us what yeah, actually <laughs> happened with him driving home. It reminded me a lot of that scene in Family Guy where Lois and Peter remember <laughs> their folk singing days and they remember themselves singing like angels and beautifully, but then it shows that they actually sounded like garbage. But it's one of the best sequences in a movie I've ever seen. I absolutely love it. I know you were a big fan of Wolf Dude, Wolf. Dude, I, I loved it. I loved, I saw it on like Christmas Day. 
by myself. And I, I just, it, it's so much fun. You know, like the, like the great, it's one of those great hangout movies, kind of like Dazed and Confused or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you just, I can watch that movie over and over again because I love hanging out with those people. Yeah. Maybe I don't know what that says about me in terms of my soul, but Wolf of <laughs> Wall Street, I mean, I, I would love to have worked for them. By the way, also introduced us to Margot Robbie. Mm. Oh, and she, one of the most scorching hot performances. Oh, yeah. I mean, that performance she gives is so good. I didn't know when I think when I first saw that movie that she wasn't from Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. I didn't know she was Australian. I the first time I heard her interview and heard her accent. I was yeah. shocked. Uh, uh, um, she was so good. All right. What's next? All right. Uh, Alan writes, happy Monday crew. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, made a surprise appearance on SmackDown this mm -hmm. Friday. Maybe they could have gotten more ratings if they advertised him, but I'm glad they made it a surprise because the crowd reaction was amazing. It gave me chills. Our buddy Ryan said, who's been, who's been a lifelong wrestling watcher, um, said to me, The Rock came back and he said, I have never heard a louder pop in an audience than when it happened. So I, sure enough, the other day I, I popped it on and I watched the, the clip of it. And out of nowhere, you understand, Drain The Rock Johnson's music, it, it starts with his voice going, if you smell, right? <laughs> and sure enough, there's something going on in the ring. Pat McAfee, very popular ESPN sportscasters in the ring, talking to a wrestler, uh, wrestler. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, allow, across the loudspeakers, if you smell, and the whole like the roof blew off this place. <laughs> you know, this is brilliant for a couple of reasons. Number one, in a writer strike era, when TV is struggling about what are we putting out for programming, bringing the rock in, I mean, it's just going to do nothing but increase uh, attention, right? The other big thing though, is the reality, even though he is my second favorite movie star, Ryan Reynolds is obviously my first, but Dwayne, the rock Johnson, my second favorite, not, second best actor, but my second favorite movie star. He, for the first time in his career, has a little bit of image rehabilitation to do, a little bit, you know, with the stuff that went down with Black Adam and some of the he said, she said stuff about over the Fast and the Furious thing, whatever, right? So Dwayne Johnson coming back to like WWE and having people lose their minds off of him going in and doing what he quite frankly is the best in the world at doing because his mic skills are off the charts. Like Dwayne, the right, that's why he's such a big star. His mic skills are off the charts. And I'll tell you, it was the biggest fan reaction I've seen in wrestling in, in my life. And I don't watch wrestling uh, anymore, but whoo, good move for the networks. Good move for Dwayne Johnson. It was just a good move all around. All right. What's next? Dr. Stinky writes, hey, John Crew, what's your thoughts on shows like Dahmer? I think it's a bad thing to bring up serial killers from the past. Like me personally, I get insane anxiety every time I see anything related to Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, bring on the filthy. See, here, with all due respect, Dr. Stinky, our film-loving brethren, then don't watch it. I, I, I mean, if it gives you anxiety, don't watch it. I have a fear of heights. So when I watch these VR videos of falling off of cliffs or stuff like that. Guess what? I just don't watch them. I don't put on those VR headsets and watch somebody falling off a cliff because that gives me anxiety. So I just don't do it. Look, these things are things that happened. This was a big topic of discussion, Rob, a couple of years ago in Canada because we've had one serial killer um, and it was, uh, uh, oh, what was his name? It was Homolka 
was was her name, and I'm forgetting the name of the guy. Yeah, it was a couple. Yeah, it was a couple that literally would lure in young girls, sexually abuse them, and and murder them, and, and stuff like that, right? And then later on, they did um, a movie about it. And there are a lot of people like, you shouldn't be doing a movie about this and all that kind of stuff. But from my point of view, it's like, guess what? We as a species are storytellers. And I think it's important to tell stories, even the horrific ones, because they teach us lessons. They let us not forget. I think it gives us some insight into things. So yeah, listen, could something like a Dahmer be um, uh, sensitive? Yes. But I don't think that takes away, I think, from the importance of telling these stories. And I, I listen, I'm never going to argue against somebody who says, um, oh, somebody's saying Bernardo. Thank you. Yeah, that was the guy's name. Um, I'm never going to argue against somebody who has a problem with those because maybe it's, a, it's an area of sensitivity for them. I get it. But I, I still think, look, there are, many, there are millions of people who've been affected by car accidents and have lost people in car accidents. I still believe that as a storytelling tool, a car accident in a movie can be a very powerful storytelling tool. Maybe that'll be sensitive to some people who maybe lost people in car accidents, but it's something that actually happens in our world. And, and I think I think these are stories that should be told. That, that's just how I feel about it. I don't know, Rob, how do you feel about it? Well, look, I agree. I mean, the thing about Jeffrey Dahmer was that happened. And the monstrous thing, things that he did, I mean, really... He, it helps us understand the depths of depravity that humans are capable of. And it also shows us perhaps what we need to be aware of. I mean, the things, what could, what could have been done to prevent Jeffrey Dahmer from becoming Jeffrey Dahmer, his brand of psychopathy, how can it have been perhaps alleviated? And by telling these kinds of stories, you know, it makes people aware of things. Yes. They're disturbing for a reason, but not as disturbing as it was to be one of his victims, you know, and it's, it's like, you're watching it in a medium where, Maybe it'll help you think about something or maybe in a way, something like this, the terror, the horror of what went on with Jeffrey Dahmer might help somebody gain insight into their own lives and some about something that I don't know what's going on. But, you know, I, I think the more we know about the human experience and the human animal and why we do what we do, the better off we are. And again, I think if it's, I have no problem that if somebody has certain sensitivity, that's very understandable. But if you have certain sensitivities, certain things, just don't watch it. Right. It's, it's, I hate to compare it. It's like porn. If you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. It's just that simple. That doesn't mean your sensitivity should not dictate what other people should be allowed to, to, to watch or have the stories to be told or, or whatever. So I don't know. It's kind of how I feel about it. A great question though. Excellent topic to yeah, bring up, man. 100%. All right. What's next? CJ Rebirth writes, rewatched the Dark Knight trilogy this past Sunday. All three of these films, even the Dark Knight Rises wasn't, even though the Dark Knight Rises uh, wasn't as great as Dark Knight. I liked how Nolan wrapped up Bruce's story. Why do we fall so we can learn to pick ourselves up? Listen, I, I love what you just said there. I am not a big fan of The Dark Knight Rises. I think it's maybe my second least favorite Christopher Nolan film. Although I do enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. But I agree with you 100% that even though as a movie overall, I'm not thrilled with Rises, it does bring... Bruce's story to a really satisfying closing. Like it, it really, really does that he kind of gets what Alfred always wanted for him at the end of the day. And in that regard, I would think, 
By the way, I mean, we talk about Dark Knight a lot and Batman Begins a lot. Like, how, how do you think Dark Knight Rises fits in that trilogy? I, I actually, uh, the first hour of Dark Knight Rises, I love. Meeting all the characters, putting all the pieces on the board and moving them around. The problem is, logistically, Dark Knight Rises gets a little hard to, hard to, hard to believe. Like, the police, apparently, if you look at the timeline, are stuck underground for, like, a hundred days mm. and they couldn't get out. And like Bruce Wayne's powers cut out off after Bane has gone in and tore up the stock market. I mean, it's like, come on, it would take a lot longer. His, his, his wealth wouldn't just disappear in a day. And the power company goes, well, Mr. Wayne, I'm sorry. We're going to cut your power off as if all of his wealth is in one place. And when they go into this, so there's a lot of, and then when Batman does come back to Gotham, there's the, of course the burning bat symbol on the, on the bridge. It's like, how what did, how did he, he do that? Well, yeah. How much time did he take doing that? Well, you know, I, hold on a second. Well, if you're going to do something, Rob, do it right. I guess so. But other than that, I think that the dark Knight rises is an epic film. And I do, like you said, to me, all three Nolan movies are like a great DC Elseworlds tale. And when I, you know, I grew up reading all different kinds of Batman stories, whether Batman's fighting vampires, Gotham by gaslight, Batman in prehistoric times, Batman and the Outsiders where he's fighting villains like the nuclear family, mm. you know, and stuff like that. So there's been all kinds of different iterations of Batman. And I really like what Christopher Nolan did trying to firmly set the Dark Knight in the real world. I dug it. All right. What's next? Uh, Matt writes, hey, crew, we got a couple of movies coming out this weekend. It Lives Inside, which looked like a fun horror movie and Expendables 4. Thoughts on both? I haven't heard of it. I even looked on box office. I can't find it lives inside anywhere. Yeah, it, maybe it's a short, uh, limited release. I'm not familiar with it. I like but, the title, though. Yeah. Um, Expendables 4. I saw a bunch of marketing for it this weekend during you know during the second NFL weekend. They're playing a lot. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Is anybody expecting Expendables 4 to be a great movie? <laughs> nah. But am I interested in watching it? Yeah, I'm not expecting it to be great. I'm not. I'm not even expecting a lot of people to go see it. They're not. <laughs> but there's a. It's still Expendables. There's still going to be some corny one-liners. There's going to be some over-the-top action. Um, I listen. All I need to see is a trailer where Sylvester Stallone, as a nearly 80-year-old man, is looking at this big dude and saying, "Bring it!" And the guy runs at him. Stallone picks him up and slams him over a bar. I'm like. Yeah, I'm in. I'm not easy. I'm not hard to get. I ain't hard to get. So I'm in. I, you plan on watching Expendables? 4? You know, the thing is, I think the Expendables movies, they know what they're supposed to be. Yes. And and even though I think they've never quite got there, I mean, the, was it, I think three was probably the closest for me. Mel, Mel Gibson was in the third one, right? Third one? Third one, yeah. Yeah. Um, but still, you look at them and, and they do deliver. On a certain level. They don't take themselves seriously. No, and I'll, I'll watch it. I mean, you know, for fun. I'm more of an equalizer guy. <laughs> you know, equalizer is so fun. I'll tell you what. I was at Amoeba Music this weekend, and I saw in the DVD section, this must have been produced very quickly, and hats off to the producers, but uh, we got Cocaine Bear a little while ago, and now there's Cocaine Shark, and I want to see it. By the way, sorry, it's a, <laughs> a topic we talked about a little bit earlier, about the fan art. Literally in my newsfeed right now. Fantastic Four cast lineup revealed to the world. 
Sure enough, I clicked on it. It's a fan post. It's a fan-made poster. They're imagining who would be in, in it. It's, 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 it's happened so much. Anyway, okay. How does a shark get cocaine in the water? Oh, well, here's the thing. <laughs> on the cover, it actually shows a shark, like, jumping out to get something and a bag of cocaine going in its mouth. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's dry. Oh, so it just yeah. goes crazy. So it's believable. So, so I'm like, it's yes. more grounded in reality. Yeah. All right, we got time for a couple more. Right. What's next? So Amin writes, rewatch uh, the really another Dark Knight Rises. Well, let's move on because we because well, they all three played yeah. they played yeah, this weekend in the theater. Uh, so let's see. We got King Daddy Goat who writes, uh, "Hey John and crew, I hope you uh, you beautiful people are having a great day. I literally wrote in Friday talking about how excited I was for the future of winning. Yeah, time. I remember that. Just to find this morning's been canceled. I guess it didn't matter how excited I was, right? I thought the majority loved it, but I guess I was wrong. Anyways, here's to hoping the week goes in a better direction." I have not talked to a single person who's seen this show that doesn't like the show. I'm, I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying I have personally not talked to anybody who has watched Winning Time that hasn't enjoyed it. But the streaming era is different. It doesn't matter if a bunch of people watch it. It doesn't matter if everybody loves it. All that matters is, is it bringing in new subscribers? And if it's not then it's not generating money for the company. And if you're spending money on something that is not generating you money, it's just good business to cancel it. And that sucks. That's part of the drawback of the streaming era and why some great shows get canceled so quickly. Um, and that's why I think you're starting to see a lot of things like Hulu, like Disney Plus, like Netflix, starting to go back to the old cable model of ad-supported tiers. Because once they get everybody on, and believe me, they're going to want to get everybody on the ad-supported tier. Five years from now, I don't even think there's going to be a non-ad-supported tier. I think they're going to want everybody on the ad-supported tiers. Because then, if people watch, it is generating money. Right now, that's not the case. So, it sucks because I want more winning time. All right, what's next? Okay, so this time, uh, Pro Wrestling Eve included the movies from March. So, hello, I hope you all had a great weekend. I remembered to put the movies this time. With March being loaded a month, uh, what do you think should move? These are the big ones. Kung Fu Panda 4, A Quiet Place. Uh, uh, this is, you know, uh, Day 1. Dune Part 2, Disney Snow White, Ghostbusters Firehouse, Mickey 17, uh, Elio. But I looked on Box Office uh, Mojo for the schedule, and I would say none because they're not all on the same weekend. And stuff like A Quiet Place 1 and Kung Fu Panda, while those are together, is their opposite types of movies, right? Yeah. Um, and we Dune, see what happened with Barbie and Oppenheimer. That can be perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah, Dune follows that by itself. Snow White now, there's, so, Snow White and Mufasa, the Lion King, are together. But I don't know yeah, if one is... Yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So maybe there. But then Ghostbusters and Mickey 17. Mickey 17. Cross-programming. I you know, they're not, there's not enough competition within each weekend, and Elio's by itself, so I yeah, say Yeah, Elio, too. Full month, but the weekends are not. Yeah, Elio's is the new uh, Pixar animated. Yeah, yeah right, right. in space. <laughs> um, so I, I agree with Jonathan. I don't think any of them... Well, uh, look, there's no way a Mufasa and a Snow White open Yeah, that's the, the only thing I'm thinking. That are ain't those, happen. Are those Disney movies? Yeah. Yes. On the same day, and they have a Pixar movie? See, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what he's saying. One says wide, one, one... Oh, they both say limited, so... It's, it's strange, like our early huh. but I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt if one of those gets moved. Yeah, maybe even significantly. That's the only one. Other than that, listen again. Barbenheimer, while an outlier, did prove that you can have big movies release on the exact same weekend, and both do really well. I mean, listen, Oppenheimer even accomplished what I didn't think it could accomplish. It's now the second highest grossing R-rated film of all time, and it opened against Barbie, which is the number one film of the year. On the same weekend. So 
And, and, you know, when uh, Aquaman, which the first Aquaman, which made over a billion dollars, it opened in a very packed two-week window in December. And it still made over a billion dollars. The only DCEU movie to make over a billion dollars. So you can do it. But like Disney releasing two movies on the same date, that seems impractical. I, I don't think that'll happen. All right. Time for one last question today. What's our last one? All right, Aaron writes, I'm still curious to know how Marvel was able to use Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver before Disney bought Fox. Weren't they mutants in the comics? What they are in the comics, though, is completely irrelevant and, and doesn't matter. It's how are they used in the movies? Now, this was actually pretty well. You can do a quick Google search and uh, find this out. Um, but it was there was a trade. There was literally a trade made between Fox and Marvel where Marvel allowed Fox to use Quicksilver and Wanda and in exchange, what did they get in exchange again? I keep forgetting that they were able to use a certain character. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how they worked that. I out. It was well publicized, but I can't remember because who Quicksilver it was now. and Wanda's were as much a part of the Avengers as they were, uh, as they were X Men. Yeah. I mean, all that they was just couldn't mention mutant. Yes, yeah, they couldn't say mutant, and they couldn't mention anything about. Uh, well, Disney couldn't say mutants and couldn't mention anything about their lineage or connection to Magneto, obviously. Um, and in on the Fox side, there couldn't be any mention of Avengers. There couldn't be any mention of whatever. But they're, they're, I keep forgetting what it was that the other side got in exchange. Yeah, I don't remember. I can't remember what it was. But they did. They made a deal where they gave each other permission to do that. It, I don't think we're going to see anything like that ever happen again. But uh, it kind of worked out. And with that down, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members, first of all, for being YouTube channel members and supporting everything that we do here, but also for giving us great fun things to talk about. I want to thank the people in the room. We got Ray Ora. See you later. Jonathan Voico. Later. Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.